Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. <laughs> Hey, Emily. <laughs> hey, Ben, what's going on? Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, where two MFA friends talk writing craft. Ben, what are we doing this week? This week, we are talking about Dreams of Amputation by Gary J. Shipley, a hallucinatory science fiction novel. And we talk about kind of the problem of uh, science fiction for a little while and the issues of inaccessibility that that genre sometimes poses, as well as the ways in which Gary J. Shipley crafts images that feel unreal but still are able to deliver an emotional experience to the reader themselves. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting episode. Yeah. If you have a tolerance for not... If you have a tolerance for not fully knowing what's going on, this is the episode for you, baby. Enjoy! Indeed. Oh, quick thing. If you do listen to this episode and you want to read this book, I will also put a trigger warning on uh, Jerry J. Shipley's Dreams of Amputations. This is a really intense, very violent at times books. Uh, um, so definitely check that. If you listen to this and think you're interested, just know that that's going to be something that you're kind of in for. He's a very intense writer. But other than that, thank you and enjoy! Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Good Writing. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, look at your face on this video screen. It's been, um, not too long. It's been enough. Not, not to say I didn't miss you at all, but it's. Yes. It's, uh, I think we've got more more. This will be a good app. I'm, yes, I, I, I think so too. We continue to do every other week at the most. <laughs> yes, exactly. Every other week, we did miss a week at this point when you're hearing this, and we're sorry about that. But I had COVID, and then a bunch of other stuff also is happening. So nothing, nothing terrible. I'm fine now. But yeah, you it's guys, just ben almost died for this podcast. Yeah, um, I was. The, there's a lost. <laughs> there's a lost episode. <laughs> Uh, of me <laughs> d- hacking a lung out while I attempt to record good writing. Uh, you know, <laughs> finally getting all my opinions about fucking um, Borges out there. <laughs> my final words. <laughs> final splats, splutes, yeah. and <laughs> Snarfs, various. <laughs> exactly. But now, now I'm much better. Now I'm healed. I took my ivermectin. Um, just kidding. <laughs> I, I didn't drink the sheep That's drench. No joke. Still landed. Yeah, exactly. It's still funny that people drank, did that. It's still funny that people decided I will drink the sheep dewormer to cure my COVID 19. Believing in medicine of a sort, but not yeah, the real one. I'm sure this has been commented to death, but, like, Mm -hmm. if you want to do an experimental medication, why not do the one that we recommended, which is (laughs) the vaccine? Yeah, that's exactly it. Exactly it. It's just, like, you know, it's like we... They're... You know, if if you're down to believe in COVID and medicine that can combat COVID, why go the route that involves you drinking tummy ache juice? Like, no one's... No one's happy about it. Like, if... Yeah. Well, speaking know. of tummy aches, Ben, how has writing been for you since we last recorded? <laughs> um, well, you <laughs> see, I had I had COVID, so <laughs> I, I've written very little. I, I honestly have not been on top of writing lately. It, it's been I, I've been traveling a lot. I, I've been getting COVID, doing all this, like just doing a lot of stuff. And, and honestly, I have not even, you know, I, I have not found my fifteen minutes. Um, and I won't lie, and part of that is because I wasn't necessarily looking for it during those times. But yeah. same use, but I was in perfectly good health. <laughs> <laughs> oh, moving on. What's next? How do we do this podcast? <laughs> How do we do this podcast? I think mm-hmm. uh, usually, usually we've had some sub content, some some meat on this bone uh, yeah. enough that we can make a, a decent transition. Yeah. Um, so instead, I will do, you know that scene in The Lion King's, there's no meat on the bone of, of our, our how is writing this week. You know that scene in The mm-hmm. Lion King where the hyenas play the xylophone on um, a ribcage? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do it. 
<laughs> All right, we're just going to get right into it uh, on this episode today. Um, uh, we are talking about um, the first few pages of Dreams of Amputation by Gary J. Shipley, um, a very strange uh, science fiction novel um, that uh, kind of deals with uh, biohacking and the uh, dangers of entering cyberspace, which you may have gotten from these first three pages. Um, but the reason that I wanted to bring this in is because I wanted to talk about uh, writing the hallucinatory, because I think this entire book is very hallucinatory, and this passage of the very beginning, I think, illustrates that as well, um, in writing um, images that cannot exist, but still it, it can exist in writing as image, can still like qualify in that form, I think. Um, cool. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to bring in and talk about today. But before we get directly into that, um, what were your thoughts on what I sent you, Emily? Um, as per usual, dear listener, Ben did not send me any context before he sent me something really weird. So <laughs> I had a particular reaction to this section. So this is a very mm -hmm. sci-fi section. Mm -hmm. um, before I read a like from the section that Ben sent me, I'm going to play a video for Ben and I will record the audio and, and, okay. and, and play the audio for you, dear listener, as well. Okay. <laughs> you find it. You just have to edit this out. Nobody listened to That's this. fine. That's fine. This is secret. This is, this is secret. My social security number is. <laughs> 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 Scrolly, scrolly. I swear I retweeted this from our account. Here it is. Okay, I found it. Okay. Okay. Ben. This okay. video is from an online comedian named Phil Jameson. And it is captioned reading the first page of any sci fi novel. Mm -hmm. And it is not loading correctly. Good lord, this is no! it's Man, Twitter is like having a moment today. Um, that, was, that was embarrassing. Okay, wow. <laughs> ben, are you having this up or am I? Um, <laughs> uh, I I'm down to edit this episode. Um, okay, great. This is still rough. It's still not happening. Alright, I found it. Did you really? Okay. Wow. This is yes. Okay. Yeah. You play it. Yeah. All you right. show your screen yeah. and play it. Okay. Do, 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 do. Share. Share my Chrome tab. All right. And start this over. <laughs> the, the, that seems about right. Um, and, and here, in um, so, since we'll have just edited that in, um, the the audio of this um, moment, I, I will read the first a uh, little bit of the first passage of this, and we'll we'll see why Emily um, actually uh, did make a very apt comparison because this is also the first page. Um, he wakes in a container, head like a sawn circuit, throat rattling like a battery cage. Dot code report flashing tortured symbols from the wall screen, the amp's back. The hooks are in, it takes seconds, brain disease, murder patrols, the melded noise of hell infused to those in the know, with the whispered portent of some sub-notional virgin plot. The signs are good so far, there are others, their forebears, hybrid corpse mechanisms stretching out a path. But he knows to slow down, been caught too many times before, always the interpretive flaws. 
you know, and, and I can see why we make that comparison. Yeah. <laughs> like only a seeker can. Indeed. Um, but what I will say marks a difference between this yeah. and, and that, and the kind of problem that I think that that comedian is alluding to in science fiction, which is like a. In the in the type of science fiction that I, I, Phil Jameson was that the name there? Um, yeah. Okay. The, that he's alluding to we all of that opening like preamble is world building to a certain extent. Yes. You do learn what all that stuff is. Like uh, even though it feels like you won't a lot of the time in a like especially in older science fiction you do learn what that is. Whereas in this most of this stuff you never fully learn what any of this is. You're not given you full access. Like, uh, you guys, I just complained to Ben that he sent me something inaccessible, and he said it's yeah. less accessible than you assumed, actually. Yeah. Because, because what's much more important in this, literally, is vibe. Like, that's what all of this is doing. It's... The cadence and combination of language and, and the word choice and, and the ways that those things bring together, and you can kind of assert what certain things are. Like you can, you, you know what a wall screen is. You don't have to know what a wall screen is, but like you can assume that it's a screen that's the size of a wall or something yes, like that. Yeah, you can, yeah. yeah. But but a dot code report, all of which is capitalized. You know, you're never gonna really know what that is. So you can just kind of. Let that wash over you as more as like, okay, like that's, you know, the numbers flashing across the screen, kind of Matrix style or something like that. But, um... Can we just talk, mm -hmm. like, before we get into this, into Mm -hmm. Gary Shipley here, can we just Mm -hmm. talk, like, sci-fi really opens like this? Like, why why is there (laughs) such a temptation Mm -hmm. to open so, so inaccessibly? Because... Mm -hmm. It's just, it is a huge turnoff for a casual mm-hmm. browser. Yeah. Know? So, like, yeah. What, why is there a temptation there? Like, why don't they want... Oh, I don't know. What's your it, theory? I don't know. I, I think that part of the, the fun and, like, the literal, like, game of science fiction is the the play between the reader and the book of figuring out that stuff and kind of like coming to recognize a grammar and language that's present in this world only that as you read on you begin to recognize things and it makes sense and you're like playing in the language space that it develops which is like a really neat trick but in order to get to that i i feel like a lot of the time you have to open already doing it and, and because of that it's always going to be a kind of turn off and always going to be kind of like putting up that wall to a definitely just like a percentage of the reading audience for sure like yeah what what what, what, what do you think of that do you have another way that you'd want to see it happen you know i agree and i've said this before like in defense of in of less accessible or less widely accessible work Mm-hmm. For those who do put the work in, into, it's more rewarding. If it's less mm-hmm. accessible to the general audience, for the few people mm-hmm. who do put mm-hmm. the work in, it is more rewarding. So, like, I get mm-hmm. and respect that goal. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I guess I don't really understand... This may be a detour from Gary Shipley, because I... No, that's fine. Let's detour. Sci-fi. Fuck it. Yeah. I don't super understand why, like, commercial, commercial sci-fi does it. Mm-hmm. Because... Like, is, is that just the taste of the commercial sci-fi community? Or mm-hmm. is it, are they shooting themselves in the foot and appealing to a less popular audience because of it? Yeah. I mean, part of it is also just a problem of, like, not specifically of the genre of science fiction, but a problem with, like, genre itself, right? Like, it's almost as if there's just expectations to make moves like that. Like, I, I'm just speculating here, but it's just like, you know... You know, the reason that so many science fiction novels open that way is because so many science fiction novels open that way. Like, it it just is the thing, yeah. Because I agree, like, you know, why not start with character? Or or why not start with recognizable things, like, or a relationship, or things that can allow the reader in, and then, you know, there's no reason you can't do the wider world still, like... Yeah. Okay, I want to do a comparison of two of my... um, two commercial, more commercial sci-fi books that I've read relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And just like the first 
two, three sentences from each of them, if that's okay with you. Yeah, please. So this is definitely, I am not always reading within this genre. I try to dabble in a lot of things. Uh, these stumbled upon me. Um, this next, next few sentences I'm going to read out loud is from a book called uh, in the Murderbot series by a sci-fi writer mm. named Martha Wells. Mm. Um, the narrator is a, like a, a murder bot, a robot cool. designed to assassinate people who ends up having like more seemingly real intelligence than, than like the society around it expects. Cool beans. I've had clients who thought they needed an absurd level, level of security. And I'm talking absurd even by my standards. And my code was developed by a bond company known for intense xenophobic paranoia, tempered only by desperate greed. I've also had clients who thought they didn't need any security at all, right up until something ate them. That's mostly a metaphor. My uneaten client stat is high. <laughs> That's the opening paragraph from okay. Network Effect by Martha, okay. Martha Wells. Um, I liked this more. <laughs> it mm -hmm. does still feel like, you know, it's using, it's referencing stuff that isn't explained here, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like a Bond mm -hmm. company, I can you know, kind of assume that's like a debt collector, maybe? Yeah. A bond company, you know, and, you know, and clients who need security, you know. Mm -hmm. Mostly it's voicey, and so it's really yeah. establishing, like, the narrator has a really strong voice. Yeah. Um, but this network effect book that I, I ended up really enjoying okay. is, you know, very, very much in the genre. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, you know, it's it's got hive brain, it's got all of the like, you know, um, sci-fi classic things, mm -hmm. but it, it just mm -hmm. starts in a way that I find a lot more accessible. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, th I I think that like a ton of sci-fi starts super inaccessibly, and it's. Mm -hmm. um, I I think one of the reasons Murderbot Murderbot series sells so well, it is a New York Times bestseller of a series is mm -hmm. because it you know has all the sci-fi elements but it is really really voicey and it's really driven mm -hmm. by that main character mm -hmm. um, i don't know was that yeah. was that what do you, was that a relevant comparison i think so uh, absolutely like like to what we read just like to uh the shipley or or just in science fiction in general kind of thing like because like yeah. I, I don't know just yeah <laughs> uh, just, just like going on the conversation like yeah I, I think that that makes more sense it, it, because like you said it's voicey um I, I think it, it you know it, it pays attention to relationships in its open pair in, in its opening paragraphs like you have that character there with with like uh, understanding their like kind of you know how they're relating to other people and because of that you get how they're relating to the world as well so there and like you said there's a little bit of that in there but like you're focused in on on this you know, the, the thing of interest is the character and not the world, and we're starting with that there. Um, yeah. Yeah. felt much more accessible to me as an audience who isn't already invested in the world in the 70s yeah. series. Um, yeah. I'm just going to read again the beginning of this yeah. section from the Gary Shipley novel that he said. Yeah. He wakes in a container, head like a sawn circuit, throat rattling like a battery cage, dock code record flashing tortured symbols from the wall screen, colon... The amp is back. Mm. Um, not the most accessible imagery here. <laughs> um, yeah. It, I mean, it's the got two similes in the first mm -hmm. half of the sentence, right? Mm -hmm. He wakes mm -hmm. in a container, uh, head like a sawn circuit. That's a simile, and I don't know what a sawn circuit is. Like a circuit mm -hmm. part. Um, throat rattling like a battery cage. Is that like a baseball batting cage no battery cage is probably like a again circuit board like technically yeah thing. uh co doc code report capitalizes if it's like the name of something flashing tortured symbols from the wall screen the amp is back so i know i don't know where this character is i don't know what i don't understand the <laughs> metaphor so i don't understand what his condition is um he's taking an input that I don't have any context on how to interpret. So I would mm -hmm. say I was pretty confused. <laughs> I, I was in the Heagly Deagly Regly Beagly realm on this one, Ben. 
Okay, uh, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. You say that, that you don't know how this character feels right now. Like, you say that, but, you know, head like a sawn circuit, throat rattling like a battery cage. I wouldn't say that that sounds comfortable. I wouldn't say that any of that sounds like uh, immediately, you know, like, you know, and then we have like dot code report flashing tortured symbols like of, from the wall screen. I, I feel like we're we're immediately set into a place where we know that this is an oppressive negative atmosphere in those first in that opening paragraph. Do, do you disagree with that see, or? Yeah. I can see that the vibes are bad. Yeah. I guess they're not particularly specific or consistent. Yes in my interpretation, right? Okay. Um, so, sawn circuit board, probably yeah. not functioning, but yeah. it, so, circuit circuit board sawn, that's like irreparable damage to a circuit board, like you, you can't sew them mm-hmm. back together, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Battery cages, if a battery is rattling, um, that's not necessarily irreparable damage. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the battery cage's fault. Like cages don't rattle on their own. So like wherever the cage is being stored is being stored is being rattled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just not clear. Like, is he fucked up or is the circumstance around him fucking him up? Yeah. Like, if his head is like a sawn circuit board, something is wrong with him, and he's the origination of the problem. But if he's mm-hmm. rattling like a battery cage, like the origination of the problem is outside of him, and he's just being impacted by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what I mean. Like, it's it's not clear to me, like, uh, is he the problem or is something else? Yeah. I, I think that that's totally a fair, like, movement. We don't know, like, correct. Like, but we do know that the moment is, like, one of negative, like, physical and emotional pain, uh, I, I would say. Sure. I, I think that we can... Er- get those out of it and and i don't i I find it interesting that you say that you're like not like because for me reading a sentence like reading a phrase like head like a sawn circuit like the language of that is so deeply compelling to me and this is kind of what i'm talking about when i mean the um the hallucinatory when i'm thinking about that as part of this um like because we don't know like you're saying we don't know what a sawn circuit is like i completely agree on that but we can kind of eke things out of it in this very, like, you know, this distanced manner, like, where we're, we're, it's not inviting us into it, but we can kind of begin an interpretive dance with it through, like, through the way the language comes together and, and through the kind of emotional tenor that the language gives off. And to me, that, that is deeply compelling. Like, yeah. I normally love that shit. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I normally love like an image that isn't quite literal, doesn't necessarily fully add up. But I mm-hmm. guess I'm just like not processing it the same way as I would in a realist fiction um, mm-hmm. because I know based on, you know, the dark doc code report in the mm-hmm. wall screen and the amp being back. Like I know that there's other stuff that is meant to be literal that I just don't know the definitions mm-hmm. of yet because it's mm-hmm. a sci-fi world terminology. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like having trouble distinguishing. Is this just like, this world building world's vocab that I don't know yet? Or is this meant to be like a not necessarily literal metaphor that I can enjoy and like sink into and like enjoy not knowing if it is Mm -hmm. meant to be understood Mm -hmm. like literally a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, and and I think that that's, uh, I think it's interesting to bring that up because I think that's a line that this book is interested in like, you know, towing and trying to figure out like because you're never quite sure of the literal versus the emotional because like it's very clear after a little while that this character has been you know jacking in and out of the internet uh, a lot and and that's given them a sort of brain damage so they can't quite you know discern between reality and fiction anymore and then also the the anything that can be referred to as reality in this is so deeply strange already there's like a lot of like animal human hybrids throughout this book and just lots of very strange occurrences of what could be considered real even so it playing in that space where it is you know like not being sure what's literal and what's metaphorical i i think ends up doing a lot of work and just makes the entire experience very visceral um it, the the, re, the this book is very immediate and like very scary on those levels because you don't quite know what you're reading about but you're kind of like at the edges of the horror in your mind a little bit 
Um, but yeah, it, it's... I, I don't know. I, I find that to be really interesting, and I, I just love the way that he'll concoct those Im images that are, like, very, like... You can't put them down. You can't pin them down, but they're still able to elicit, like, a, a reaction as if they were real. Yeah. I respect that. It makes for such a challenging read. Mm -hmm. It makes for such a challenging first read, I should say. I mm -hmm. suppose, like, mm -hmm. second read, once you, like, are familiar with what is in the realm of literal in this, in this mm -hmm. fantasy world, is many mm -hmm. different. Um, hmm. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. And pretty inaccessible, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> that's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. It's just it's just a choice. It's a choice. Yeah. Um, hmm. Can yeah. we look at? Um, I think later in the section, there's a, a bit that that might be a good representation of what you're talking about about like mm -hmm. scariness and it being frightening and like. Um, I agree. Generally speaking, I think whatever we as readers imagine is usually scarier than whatever the author could have come up with. So like playing with the yeah. boundaries of literal and metaphorical and, and mm -hmm. a moment are, are, is really poignant. Mm -hmm. um, is there a specific moment later on that we want to point to? Uh, sure. I, really, I feel like I can take most anything out of here, but um, here, I'll, I'll just go from on page eight, middle of the one starting with airworms, uh, that paragraph. Um, Airworms cut through the capsule on their early morning run, their insatiable, toothless hunger serving as a filter for his weary lungs. Red beads in the screen, his eyes starting to bleed. He wipes them dry and pulls down his goggles, adjusts the backlighting, and disappears, making way for the words, the frenzied architecture of his future in waiting. Input procedures and mainframe anomaly tests already running, and if there's anything new to find, he'll beat them to it. He always does. And if he comes up blank, he'll propagandize his own existence to move on. Like, I feel like we, we move a lot between, like, things that feel real and then turn out to be metaphorical, like that first sentence... Airworms cut through the capsule on their early morning run, their insatiable toothless hunger serving as a filter for his weary lungs. Like, that starts out as if it's describing airworms as a thing that are, but then you kind of realize that, like, airworms is kind of like his own physical reaction to, reaction to something because they're the filter for his lungs. Like, they're, they're, a, mm. they're, they're not separate from him, they're part of him. And we don't know that at the beginning of the sentence just because we have so little clue as to what's going on at all. Like, yeah. Is this... Is this guy human? Uh, or like you know, modified. that's a... It sounds like more likely modified human. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably the better way to put it. Like, it, it's definitely, you know... He's definitely got cybernetic implants. That's definitely something that's going on in this book. And I don't believe that he's one of the human-animal hybrids, but I I think that everyone's DNA in this future has been so spliced beyond repair that it's just, you know, it's hard to tell what a person is anymore, even. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. But yeah. Yeah, I... That is, like, an option that's available to you as a writer if you're writing in a in a fantasy world that you've created that just like not an option in, mm -hmm. in a realist world that you're borrowing mm -hmm. from um yeah surprising people and make, thinking, making them start a paragraph thinking airworms are like a literal thing that's in space and then ending up realizing oh no this is like a metaphorical extension of his body that is not an option in realism <laughs> mm -hmm. cool mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, the realist work that would come closest to this is um, uh, the, there's a book called McGlue um, by Otessa Moshfe. I think I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Are you familiar with her? Okay, she, she, she's very good. She wrote a book called, uh, recently called uh, My Year of Re Rest and Relaxation. I guess this was a few years ago at this point that, that's, that, that made the rounds, yeah. Yeah, yeah that one made the rounds. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really, really good book, too. Um, that also kind of deals with the hallucinatory as well, the, in a realist mode. Um, but she, like, McGlue is about a sailor with a head injury and about, like, him kind of recounting his, like, sexual relationship with another man that was on his boat. Um, and also, like, he's not sure whether or not he killed him 
because he keeps coming back to him in visions, but it might actually be him, like, taking care of him while he's sick, but he may have murdered him, and that may just be his jailer, like, and it it kind of deals with that, like, unclear line between reality and the imagined in that, and because of his head injury, like, that kind of bleeds out literally and figuratively onto his experience of the world and his experience of his memories, so we see that fusion between physical and non-physical there. Um... Yeah, but yeah it, you know my mm-hmm. top of top of mind example of realist fiction that uses represents hallucinations hallucinations in an interesting well way is the bell mm-hmm. jar um, during her psychotic mm-hmm. break. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's moments where she tells the nurses, "I haven't slept in days," and they say, "You've been asleep for like tw- the past twelve mm-hmm. hours, right?" Um, mm-hmm. And she has like you know just her perception of of events and and like her distortions of how cruel people around her are being when they're just small chatting amongst themselves um, yeah. was was really interesting but it's another example like your McGlue head injury guy of, of someone yeah. who's like really in an altered mental state and, and that they're mm-hmm. truly like believing and not able to distinguish what is and isn't reality in, in, in a realist world the bell mm-hmm. jar mm-hmm. uh, which Ben and yeah. I are, are um, sims for yeah, always a recommendation. Always a solid rec. Yeah, and that's interesting just because, like, the bell jar does it in the way where it's, you know, it's her experience is, like, you're reading her subjective experience, and then it's your job to, like, uh, like place objective reality onto it and, like, figure out whether or not what she's describing is true. Like, realizing that she's just wrong about things um, is yeah. a big part of that book instead of like instead of not being able to tell because i i think that that that's written in such a way that it is very intentional for you to be able to find those discrepancies where whereas something like this is much more interested in like dealing away with the reader's ability to find those discrepancies like true it's um i have very limited horror reading experience because mm-hmm. i am a wussy i am mm-hmm. i have fear in my heart um but um, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I suspect many other horror and thrillers are, like, you cannot tell if mm-hmm. um, her perception is correct, is accurate, mm-hmm. or if she's mm-hmm. uh, an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect it's a, like, truly not being able to tell in this, in, in The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, because the, the main character can't tell either. Um, mm-hmm. I suspect that's a really common move in, in horror. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I just... I, I think it's an interesting thing to do to kind of um, to just obfuscate. Because in writing, you have the ability to do that, I, I think, more freely than a lot of other mediums. Uh, oh, I don't know. Sure. It, j- just like that, you know, w- when you're just dealing with pure language on a page, like, it, you, you have the ability for that to be very potent and you can allow that language to exist continually with the other language within the space it's inhabiting where it can be allowed to be atomized and just, you know, as instances and units of itself, like each sentence can either stand together in the paragraph or you can make each sentence stand separate from what else it's around. Um, and, and I think that that's just an interesting technique. Yeah. yeah. Why do you find it so interesting? What do you think um, it lets us do? I, I think that it lets us, you know, I, I think it lets us find the... I think it lets us draw a line, or it, it lets us, I'm not finding the words that I'm trying to find right now, but yeah, I, I think what's interesting about it is just that it allows language to be either, you know, a continuous unit that creates something that is no longer language, that creates like, because I would say that story is not, and language are two separate things. And if you allow it to all come together and relate, you can create story and you can create characters and the, these things that stand separate from the language that builds them. Or you can allow the language to be atomized down and be the language itself. And then it exists in kind of like poetic units and instances that that um, you can push forward and have each of them stand on their own as that language. Right? And I think that, you know... 
remembering that writing can do that second thing where it is just the language itself and it can call attention to itself and like the way that that can make our brains react is just something that I find to be just I don't know why I find it fascinating I just think it's one of those things that I have like a philosophical interest in I don't know like yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah it, it, it's the interest of things like dreams and things like that too All right like people want to talk about dreams all the time oh my god anytime anyone tells me about their dream i'm like yeah but aren't you interested in your own dreams no No, you don't find your own dreams interesting nonsensical usually just slightly like confounding (laughs) well what about when they scare you Or, or when they make you feel joy don't they, do they do either of those things for you or do you just find yourself distant from them uh sure they do but it's all a trick of the light like i'll wake up and it's washed away moment, moments later yeah but like i mean dreams are right dreams are just like your neural pathways reversing new mm-hmm. uh, routes right like I mean, I don't know the science of it, but you're, that sounds correct. <laughs> yeah, it's like your brain synapses, like, firing electricity, rehearsing new routes, and trying to, like, remember, like, mm. cement, like, this is a good trail, let's keep this trail updated, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean any, like, the, I don't know, I, yeah. I think it's, 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 it's not, like, it doesn't necessarily re- really reveal that much about your psyche, necessarily. Um, yeah. I don't think it reveals a lot about your psyche. Like, I, I agree with that, but I, I do think that it produces interesting imagery. And, and I do mm-hmm. think that... And not necessarily interesting to other people. I agree that other people's dreams are boring. But, like, are, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, you know, the have, someone telling you a story about a dream is a classically boring thing. Like, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just like, uh, it's nonsensical. Let it wash over you, my guy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I what what what, what do you? <clears throat> hallucinations can are really generally pretty interesting in art, but I think mm-hmm. it's because like I usually think it's because we as writers are like finagling it to be more interesting than hallucinations are in real life. Hallucinations in real life are not necessarily like grandiosity like the specifics mm-hmm. of that are like as uninteresting to me most of the time as dreams are but like in art mm-hmm. like how we choose to represent hallucinations usually pretty poignant because mm-hmm. you can imbue meaning by bringing it into the art uh, the form of the art like yeah in the same way that writers write way more interesting dreams than anyone actually dreams mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of course because it's allowed to be way perfected more and possibly even yeah, too perfect sometimes, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. really, you had a dream about your mom the night before your mom appeared out of nowhere? Is that really <laughs> what happened? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What, what, what do you make uh, of, you know, of language that, that attempts to, you know, be transcend into just kind of a purely imagistic or or, or an even like post-imagistic form like if it creates image that cannot be seen like well what do you what do you think on things like that does that have a place in our writing should we uh, maybe that's yeah. too, that's too stringent of a question however, question but yeah however i think like examples of that that i've enjoyed reading mm-hmm. are usually in poetry and not in poems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because a poem, like I think, gives you as the reader more license to interpret it how you wish to. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think prose, like we're too tempted as prose writers to like, oh, okay, we want to supposedly play with their surrealist image, but like, mm, still my story, my story, my story. Interpret my story mm-hmm. how I want. <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 
so so then like it is so what what then if it's gonna be not realistic if it's mm-hmm. gonna be open for interpretation allow it to yeah. be open for interpretation like these are some plots of mine um, yeah I think I think like it doesn't matter to the story, Ben, if you're in my interpretation of airworms being metaphorical extensions of the character's body rather than literal things mm-hmm. that are, like, in, in this space setting. Um, does it mm-hmm. matter if, if we're wrong? Like, are we allowed to be wrong about that if we're wrong about that? Or are we allowed of course. to have a difference of interpretation about that? I mean, of course we're allowed to be wrong or to not interpret it at all even like because I, I think and I think that's an interesting thing that this book does is mm. prevent is it tells you you know at a certain extent you ha- you can't keep interpreting these things because they are just there's too many of them they go too quickly they don't necessarily have that concretized version like you know we can take it as external or internal and if either one is correct it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because what matters is the character's pain like because that's that's what's happening like and the imagistic layer is just kind of like relating to that like and pointing to it um Mm. yeah um i i don't know but but it's just like you know what what is it, it, when we can have our surrealistic images and whatnot, like where, where should prose go? Like what 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 is the like if prose isn't telling a story or or like does prose always have to tell a story? Like can can it escape from that? What does Gary Shipley do? Um, in this novel. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is a story, but I don't think it matters too much. Like, things happen. Like, there are events that that, that occur, but, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I'm also just saying, like, I, I say it doesn't matter, but it's like, maybe that's just me because, like, I don't necessarily care what happens in a lot of books. Like... Yeah, word, I know. That's your taste in books, too, is, like, the stakes are not the plot, yeah. necessarily. Um, yeah. I think it just has to be the stakes... I think this is all perhaps even a consequence rather than the cause of it, but perhaps a consequence of the stakes mm. being elsewhere other than plot, right? A writer yeah. who's like really, yeah. really concerned with making with 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 plot and what happens in the story, the, the subject of the story, you know, they're not going to take they're they're less likely to take risks and leave things open to interpretation than a writer who. Like, mm the stakes aren't in the plot it's in the language it's in the character development it's in um i don't know what words it could be um mm-hmm. yeah but i think this kind of experimentation is like probably the result of a writer being willing to to write something where as you've been as a reader say uh you know other things happen that's not what's important what's important is this feeling that the yeah. main character is going through mm-hmm. yeah agreed I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting to. I think it's an interesting book. I think it's interesting that you uh, uh, compare it against like other science fiction that's coming out now in the ways of promoting accessibility within the genre uh, of kind of avoiding stuff like this, which is an extreme example. But uh, um, just that that general problem that that we see in the video that you showed at the beginning of this uh, of just kind of like there being too much gobbledygook in a lot of science fiction and fantasy like if well i think something different based on what you said about this is the gobbledygook the higgly deagly greedly beagly mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. like it's not an obstacle to the point of the story in your interpretation mm-hmm. at least it is the point of the yeah. story is yeah. like losing yourself in the language and not needing to know what is happening happening literally just appreciating it on a language and metaphorical level yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. And too much sci-fi, yeah. the gobbledygook is an obstacle to me knowing what the hell is happening. And it's yeah. about what's happening, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think that prose problem comes in a lot of the time from, like, especially, like, if you read, like, sci-fi from the 60s and 70s, like, a lot of those people are not, like, strong prose stylists. Like, they just aren't, you know? Sir, the... I most certainly do not. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but I, I think that's where a part of that big problem comes from is that they you know 
their their character relationships will be very rote or, or very stereotypical or very cliche be because they just don't know how like you have all those classic you know all of the old you know like hero saves the princess stories that you see repeated again and again and that sort of stuff and, and there's no there's no substance there so they they layer on the extra crap because there's that's what they have to a certain extent i don't even think that's like a good thing but i think that's a problem a lot of that stuff encounters do you remember when we took that like origins of fantasy genre class? yeah mm-hmm. i was really shocked that most of those stories were relatively short like Mm-hmm. The king mm-hmm. of Elfland's daughter was like a, mm-hmm. was it, wasn't it like a type 150, 200 pages? Yeah, it felt like 400, but yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't say it was a good read. I, I just thought yeah. it, was, it, yeah. is, it is the origin of like many of the fan. It is yeah. one of the first of the many of the like fantasy tropes. But like, yeah. I think interestingly, like sci-fi and fantasy right now are really known for being thick. Thick, yeah, books. like just yeah. long, like mm-hmm, eight hundred mm-hmm. pages is short for many sci-fi stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Six hundred would would be like rare, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's interesting that like the root and the genre setters were relatively compact. Where, yeah, where now like so much of the genre is like uh, truly so overblown. Like, yeah, a twelve hundred word story. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, twelve hundred. Twelve hundred word page story. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of that. But yeah, no, one hundred percent. Like the, those early stories are so short, and I, maybe it's because they were all like based on fairy tales. Was like the origin, or at least according to that class, the the origin of fantasy was in fairy tales. So it was in shorter children's work. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely think that's the leading leading theory for me too. Um, yeah. And fairy tales are really, they're not necessarily sensical, but they're pre- pretty sim- simplistic and short. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, that's all I really have to say about Dreams of Amputation, I won't lie. <laughs> I, I just think How it's an interesting... Oh, um, how did I find this? I, I think I found it because when I was just looking up um, various presses, um, the guy... Uh, Gary J. Shipley himself uh, runs a press called Schism, and um, it, it has a sub-imprint called like Schism Squared, where he releases books of philosophy. And, and I think I, I I was like looking at some of the weird like a, I think he released like a book by Eugene Thacker, who's like a pessimistic philosopher who I was kind of interested in for a little while, and uh, I think I found him through that. Like yeah. Cool. Hey, by the way, dear listener, Ben was a philosophy mm-hmm. major. Yeah, I just yeah, really proud of that. I, I bring it up a lot, actually, to people who haven't met. <laughs> it's like that's why he's so long-winded and annoying. Yeah, no, no. Um, I'm gonna take that as our transition. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking Please. of being short-winded and. Um, entertaining mm-hmm. um, how would we translate this into an exercise or uh, prompt okay um, I would say to uh, basically if we're trying to translate this into an exercise and, and we're trying to you know talk about writing the hallucinated and writing the hallucinatory is by um, when you are trying to write this kind of image and trying to come to this kind of image um, I, I think it is important to take on to, to start with something real, uh, to try to start with a real image, and, and then to kind of twist it past its edges. Um, say, you know, starting in a space uh, of realized, you know, describing just like a tree as it stands, and, and then, you know, altering the verb that you would use to use a non-standard verb to describe that thing, and then altering aspects of it to kind of grow past what you would expect them to be if something is, you know, biological in nature, at describing it as if it was a machine. Um, if something is, you know, mechanic, describing it as, as if it was alive. The, these sorts of things starting there and just kind of finding ways to twist outward from there until you reach a, a space where the image you're creating can has the emotional tenor and notability of an image, but not the, um, like, core actual visual components that we would associate with it. 
cool. Yeah. <laughs> so your transformation process there. Uh, if you're thinking of a literal image, mm-hmm. first swap the verb for something yeah. weirder and less. Yeah. Uh, that belongs worse. That doesn't belong as well. Yeah. To, um, but it has like a, a different tone or adds like a new texture to the image. Yeah. And then uh, you first, your next line of transformation was swap something. If it's biological, make it mechanical. If it's mechanical, make it bio- make it make it like uh, a breathing thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then just keep yeah. keep swapping yeah. and transforming. I- exactly. J- just taking the uh, the aspects of what you would consider its opposite or or something that it is not, and trying to find ways to um, apply those aspects to the thing. Cool means, All but yeah, right, so I've have you read you. anything recently? Have I read anything recently? Yeah. yeah, or anything that you like that you want to bring up for the good people at home? Goodness gracious. Well, speaking of Ben being a philosophy major, um, <laughs> my favorite YouTuber's name is ContraPoints, and mm. she's a dropout philosophy grad student, and she's just really interesting. She got relatively famous. Um, as you know, she wrote, she, she made these video essays that were like rebuttals to, um, various alt-right figures. And she's Mm -hmm. actually kind of deprogrammed a lot of alt-right figures, um, by making them really accessible to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, um, she hasn't posted a damn video in almost a year, but her most Mm -hmm. recent one, Envy, on Envy as like a concept, um, I think you might find interesting, Ben. It, it, it involves Heidegger and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. I love ContraPoints. I have not watched the Envy video, but I, I do really like her stuff. I, I love her video about incels and, and various other topics. She's really fucking smart, so, yeah. So smart. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Also just entertaining. Just yeah, yeah, like, super funny. Throws in a joke, throws in interesting visuals. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the best. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to check that out, and I'll let you know what I think. But, um, what do you think? Yeah. What's your recommendation of the weekend? Um, I'll also go for a YouTube recommendation. Um, there is a horror series on YouTube called The Monuments Mythos, which is, I think, really, really fucking cool. Um, it's basically dealing with an alternate timeline of America in which the monuments that are built in America are kind of houses for eldritch horrors. And, um, what, what makes it really interesting is that all the videos are done in different styles, like... You know, one is like an excerpt from a documentary about how in this alternate timeline, how James Dean became president. Uh, And, you know, it's just kind of like a Ken Burns style documentary about that event. But then another one might be like a kid's iMovie project about a vacation that they took with their dad kind of thing. Like, so it's got (laughs) a genre. That's fun. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's super fun. It's creepy, but not terrifying. Is how I would describe it. Like so, it, it, I definitely think it would not be too scary to watch. Like it, it's a it's a really fun time. So check that out. Monuments Mythos. Yeah. How many? Um, I, I guess not episodes, but how many videos are there? Yeah. Um, the first season, which is all I've watched, I haven't watched the second season yet, is like thirteen or fourteen videos. It comes out to be in about an hour and a half, two hours long, something like that. Not not a deep investment. Yeah. Cool. That sounds really fun. Thanks for the epic. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening <laughs> to the Good Writing Podcast. <laughs> 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 uh, you short for us. We're on Twitter at Good Writing Pod. That's Good Writing Pod on Twitter. Or if you would like to send us a longer note or a voice memo, you can email us at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you, I don't know, within a month. Probably yeah. Two weeks. Yeah, probably two weeks from when this comes out. We'll we'll give you probably another one, weeks. another taste. <laughs> <laughs> another taste of the goods, honey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.